0: Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to and not in place of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. I want to get into the Word. And I want to speak a message that I've entitled, Don't Underestimate Sin's Sneakiness. Don't Underestimate Sin's Sneakiness. And you'll understand what I mean when we get into it a little bit today. Turn me to Genesis chapter 4. I want to read through verses 1 through 12 with you. Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. I want to look at two truths from this passage. In fact, I'm going to look at the first one today during this sermon this morning, um, but then I'm going to talk about, and we're going to discuss the second one in part two of this message. This will be a two-part sermon, and I'm going to begin by actually putting the two truths up on the screen so that we can look at them and use them kind of like a road map as we try to dissect the story of Cain and Abel and really try to understand What it is saying about God, what it's saying about us, and what it's saying about sin. In fact, let me put them up on the screen. I want you to see this. The first thing I want to speak about today is I want to talk about the sneakiness of sin. Sin, if you didn't know this, is sneaky, really sneaky. And number two, we'll get into this in part two of the message. I want to talk about the choice between sacrifices. Are you a Cain or are you an Abel? But let's talk about the sneakiness of sin just for a few minutes. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, is probably for me one of the most sobering passages in the scriptures. Um, if you spend time and like to study when you read the Bible, if you like to pray over the word and journal, then this specific text should put a little bit of fear inside of you. Um, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 says this it says that sin is crouching at the door of our hearts and it's the word crouching that should scare us. I remember a number of years ago when I was a teenager, and many of you know my whole story. I grew up in northwest New Jersey on one of the largest lakes in New Jersey, 23 miles of shoreline, but in the area that I grew up, there was a skateboard shop called Small Empire, and that's where I spent like every waking moment of every single day. All of my formative life, I was at the skateboard shop, especially when I was a teenager. And, And my buddy Dave actually owned the shop. And my buddy Dave, he had a pet. But he didn't have a normal pet like a dog or a kitten or a rabbit or a gerbil or any of those things. Instead, Dave had an iguana. And not like the pet supply iguanas where you go and they're in those little glass cases and they're small and all cute. No, no, no. He had like the Galapagos Island type of iguanas, right? These things, it was like three or four feet long without the tail, and its name was Hot Rod. We all called it Hot Rod. And, and, and Hot Rod used to like to hide. He used to like to crouch in the clothing racks. So every time there was a new shipment of like skateboard shirts or something, if you, if you wanted to check out something and you wanted to buy it, you had to be careful because as you perused, through the racks, there was a good chance that you can expose this three or four foot iguana that was clinging to some article of clothing. And when you exposed Hot Rod, he didn't kind of look up all cute at you and kind of bend over his ear and let you scratch. No, no, no. Instead of like a dog or a cane, he, he lunged. He, he jumped towards you and he'd either try to scratch you or he'd try to bite you. And for a 14-year-old boy, it's terrifying because you never knew where Hot Rod was. You'd hear a little scurry somewhere and you'd be like, what, 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 what was that? You just didn't know. Right? And it, it was like Russian roulette every time you go into the skateboard shop. See, that word in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, that word crouching in the original Hebrew is actually a picture word. In fact, in the Hebrew, many words actually gave pictures, and it's an image of a tiger or a leopard or a predator in a field, and he's crouching, trying to get out of the view of his prey. God is saying that it is the nature of sin, listen to this, to hide from us. It is the nature of sin to crouch. It gets out of our view, and it makes itself seem smaller than it really is. That's what sin does. But the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning, and this is important because this is what we need to know as Christians, how exactly does sin crouch and hide in our lives. Well, first and foremost, I want you to get this and write this down. Sin crouches and hides intellectually in our individual lives and then in society. For example, not everybody in here, but maybe for some and those that are watching online, you might be listening to what we are talking about today and thinking in your mind, this looks like a contemporary church. Right? We there's a black stage, they have some smoke, they got lights. They've done away with the choir. Now we have worship bands, right? And we sing really contemporary songs. The pastor, you know, he's wearing a lot of denim. He's got his hair slicked back. But the topic of sin is not something we speak about in contemporary church anymore. You might be thinking in your mind, that's so old fashioned, right? In contemporary church, what we do is we package sermon series together about marriage, which is important about raising kids, which is important. We talk about being influencers for the kingdom of God, how to get the most likes on our Facebook page and Instagram for Jesus, which is all God. Listen, I'm not putting it down. We talk about overcoming temptation, but nobody overtly just speaks about the topic of sin. That's for those old-fashioned churches where they wear the suits and ties, where the preacher gets up behind the wooden pulpit, where there's a choir loft, where the choir members wear choir robes, Right? But listen to me, if you're thinking like that, the reason that you feel that way, to be completely honest, is because sin is crouching. It is hiding in our churches. It is hiding in our churches, listen to me, and it is hiding in our society. See, many of you are going to go back to work on Monday morning. If you don't work in ministry, but you just have a job out in the normal marketplace, you might have some of your coworkers come up to you and say, what did you do on Super Bowl Sunday? And if they weren't believers, and you were completely honest with them, and you said, oh, I went to this church, and there's this dynamic, handsome preacher out there called Pastor Michael. He's got his hair back and everything. He's fully Italian, really passionate, really awesome. But he talked on the topic of sin. I, he had this sermon about sin. Now, now, if those people were close enough with you, and they were willing to speak their minds, many of them would probably look at you and say, sin? Who in the world is talking about sin? What, are you part of a cult? Are you stuck in some type of time loop? Like nobody talks. That's not what we talk about anymore. Nobody's talked that way since before we had flat screen TVs, electric cars, and Taylor Swift albums, right? Like nobody talks about that topic. What's wrong with you? What world are you stuck in? You're like a dinosaur. We are more sophisticated than that now, right? We are more in tune with our emotional state. We know why we're all messed up. It's not the topic of sin. It's our parents, They all screwed us up, right? We got psychology, right? That's what this is about. Come on. See, we don't realize sin is crouching. Sin is hiding. It's making its way everywhere, and it's getting out of our view. It's saying, I'm not really here. You don't need to pay attention to me. I'm not really real. It's all something else. I have nothing to do with that. That's what sin does. In fact, let me put this up on the screen. I want you to see this. I spoke about this in our fast. But Barna conducted a survey in 2022. And they did it through all evangelical Christians in the United States. And this is what they said. They found that 57% of all evangelical Christians believe that everyone sins a little. But most people... They're pretty good by nature. And then watch this. They found out that 65% of evangelical Christians in the United States, they don't even believe that everyone is born with a sin nature. They believe everybody is born innocent in the eyes of God. That's a scary statistic. That shows how sneaky sin is. Sin intellectually hides and crouches and says that it's not that big of a deal. It's nothing you have to pay attention to. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to discuss it. But sin undealt with doesn't just sit there. The Bible says it crouches, which means in time, it will spring up. It will attack, and it will destroy everything. Hidden sin in our lives that goes unrepented and undealt with hardens our hearts to the presence of God. We end up coming in church on Sunday morning and we see people, they're weeping in worship, they're dancing in worship, they're singing in worship and we begin to get cynical. What's wrong with those people? It's not what's wrong with those people. Is that if you have hidden, unconfessed sin, unrepented sin in your life, it's what's wrong with you. It's hardening something. You're not experiencing the same thing in the house of God because your heart can't actually engage with God's presence. The Holy Spirit can't woo you the way that he used to. When we have unrepented sin that is hidden inside of our lives, we open up the word of God and we can no longer hear the Lord's voice. We start looking at the scripture saying, why doesn't this speak to me the way that it used to? Why have I gone literally months, even years, without feeling like God has given me direction or encouragement or leading? I remember when I first got saved. I remember when I used to read that book. I used to weep every time I read it. And now I look at it and I'm bored and I am mundane by it. See, when we have unrepented hidden sin inside of our lives, things like church life, things like missions, things like eternity becomes boring. You just sit there in the seat. There's nothing in you that's passionate about it. You just kind of sit there feeling like you have to get through it because you want to have the fire insurance so you don't go to hell, but you're not really engaged. That's what sin does. And sin opens up the door to other things in our lives as well. I had people come up to me and say, you can't prove this. I said, yes, I can. Many times when there's unrepented sin in our lives, that's one of the doors where depression begins to get in. I don't care what any of you say. That's true. Sin gives birth to death. Not just physical death, spiritual death. It does something in us. Now, I'm not saying all depression is because of sin. That's not what I'm saying. Someone said, well, you said all. I didn't mean it that way, and if I said it like that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go there. But I'm saying more of it than we realize is because of unrepented hidden sin in our lives. Anger issues that could be a fruit of unrepented sin when you have somebody that cannot control themselves and they're always angry, they're always blowing their top, they're always screaming, they're always yelling. Let me tell you something many times I said nine out of ten times the last time, it was a figure of speech. Let me just do this. Someone said, How do you know it's 90 percent? Okay, listen, listen, I'm a pastor, I want you to understand something. We see a lot of stuff, okay, and it might not be 90 percent, but let me tell you something. A lot more than you realize, the anger is actually just a fruit of something deeper. Okay? It is an effect of a cause, but it is not the cause. There's something unrepented of, there's something undealt with. And because of that, the anger begins to burst out all the time. It can even deal with physical issues in our lives. When you hold on to bitterness, when you hold on to unforgiveness, it can affect you physically, it can make you physically sick. It totally can, and it will. It opens up the door to all these other things. And when sin goes unchecked, listen to me, it creates all types of dysfunctional behavior that splits apart churches, it destroys our marriages, and it hands our children over to bondage. I'm going to get brutally honest this morning. And I'm going to give you an example Sin comes to many, even in the church. And remember, it crouches, it hides. And it hides intellectually. It lies to us. And one of the ways that it gets into the church and it gets into society is it says things like this. You know what? A little pornography is not that big of a deal. You're carrying so much you're carrying things at work, you're trying to take care of the family, you're stressed out, you're overwhelmed. You could watch a little bit of this. You can relax. You can have a sexual release. To be honest, we're all sexual cre- creatures. We all need it. And the reality is this sin is not really hurting anyone. Anyone ever hear that before? I'm not hurting anybody. But we when we say, okay, and we allow sin in, we open the door, comes in crouching, remember, it's hiding. It's intellectually hiding. When we begin to feed on that junk, when we begin to to literally watch it, you know what it does? It creates a need for other evil in our society, like the sex trade, or like the exploitation of young men and women. And you know what that does? That begins to influence our culture. And you know what that does? That begins to give our children an unhealthy appetite for sexuality. And they start thinking in their minds, man, I wonder if I'm bisexual. I wonder if I should be in a lesbian relationship. They start thinking to themselves, everybody's got an OnlyFans page. You know what? Maybe I should take my clothes off and show my body off on a webcam. Maybe I should do it in a chat room. Maybe I should send a few nude pictures. Where is that coming from? Can we be honest? It's coming from sin that's crouching in our own lives. It's just affecting our culture. It's affecting our society. We don't see it. We don't put all the links together because it's hiding from us intellectually. It's not showing us the whole picture. It's just giving us this little portion and then keeping everything back. It's getting down. Look, I'm small. You don't have to see all that I'm doing. Look, I'm little. I'm getting down from your view. That's how sin works. And then we come into the church, and i can I be honest? Why are my kids addicted to these things? What, why, why are we fighting? What's going on? How come society is falling off a cliff? What, 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 and we are overwhelmed we we are, and, and and you know what we do we point out there well it's their fault man it, look what they did look what it's not us and meanwhile sin is crouching it's hiding in all of us i promise you this message is going to have hope and it's going to have joy by the end i promise you But we have to go to the doctor and get the visit first. There's some things that need to be discussed. Sin tells us that it will behave, that it will sit in the corner. It tells us it's not crouching, it's just sitting. It's not going to hurt us or our family or our children. It'll just sit in place and it will never move. But God says that it is the nature of sin never to sit. He doesn't say sin is sitting at your door. He says the nature of sin is to crouch. It's to crouch. In time, it always springs up. In time, it always attacks. In time, it always destroys our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and it destroys our children. Sin crouches and it hides intellectually in our individual lives and our society. But listen to me, sin also crouches and it hides behind the covenant of God's grace. Let me explain. Every time a celebrity pastor or big-time minister falls and they get exposed for something, I always get questions from the congregation. Even friends who know that I'm a pastor, they'll text me and they'll ask, how could this happen? How could this happen? They had growing churches. They had huge, huge worship ministries. They'll even tell me, I watch their YouTube clips, and and they speak to me. They minister to me. And yet, at the exact same time, they were committing adultery. They were hiring out prostitutes. They were embezzling money. How? I hear people, how? And to be honest, it's actually really simple. See, because even though God makes it very clear that there are consequences for sin, And even though God makes it very clear that he will expose sin in time when it goes undealt with, it might take 20, it might take 30 years. But God says, if you don't deal with it in private, I'm going to deal with it in public. I'm going to bring what you're doing out in the light in front of everybody. Because it's the only way that I could finally get your attention. You are not listening in your private time with me. And God says, even though I'll expose it, and even though it has consequences... God makes it very clear that he will still be faithful to the covenant that he made with his son on our behalf. Which means his grace, his power, his presence, many times will still flow through the man or the woman's preaching because of the blood of Jesus. Because there's people in that congregation that are hungry for the Lord. And God told his son, he didn't tell the pastor, he told Jesus that when somebody is hungry for you, I will always meet them with my spirit. I am committing to you and your sacrifice, not theirs. So God moves. Beth and I, years ago, we went away for a wonderful retreat that the elders sent us on. I was kicking and screaming at first because it was going to be like a checkup retreat. And I I, I told Beth, I said, can't the elders, because they were going to send us to Marble in Colorado. Anyone ever been to Marble before? It, It is beautiful, but it's still Colorado. And I love Colorado, but I live in Colorado. So I said to Beth on the way up there, I was like, they can't spend the money and send us on a cruise somewhere? like." Like Jamaica, like Bahamas, St. Lucia, like we're going, we're going up to the mountain. I live at the mountains. What do we do? So we went up to this retreat center and we were the only ones there. You're supposed to have seven couples that go with you and, and they do a whole checkup for ministers. They go through all these things. They do counseling, prayer times, all this stuff. It's phenomenal. It's, it's actually, but everyone bailed out except Beth and I. We were the only ones for the weekend. So so we're sitting there with these counselors and these professionals, and and I had some very honest conversations because we got to have dinner with them. We got to hang out with them because there was nobody else there. And I would ask them questions about some of their practices and people that would come in, especially after falls, and what does that look like, and so forth and so on. And they shared with me a little bit, and it was powerful because I never got the perspective. And they said, you know what's amazing? Many pastors and ministers that are in adulterous affairs, the, 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 the leader, Michael, was telling me about this, the counselor, he was talking to me about this. This is what he said. He said, when they're in adulterous affairs and they finally get caught after preaching every Sunday and they're still sleeping with different women in the church, but the elders and the overseers find out and they get caught and they end up at a place like this or they end up going through a whole disciplinary and a, and a restoration process, they all say this. It's amazing because the elders and the overseers are, are always shocked. They had no idea that it was going on. And they have the same question we're all asking. How in the world could this have happened? And he says, he said, I said this in the last service, so I gotta be careful. I said nine out of ten times, okay? A lot of times, okay? <laughs> Sorry. it's <laughs> like, it's not 90% exactly. I was like, it's a figure of speech. I didn't mean it to be 90%. So let me just let me just make sure about stepping on a toe, okay? It's not always. But a lot of times they'll say when the pastor would get honest and confess, this is the same story that would come out over and over again. And they would say this. They say the pastor said they would come into the office on Tuesday and they would start coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit as they were preparing their messages. And then they said it was so heavy and so overwhelming that they actually couldn't even engage or pray with God. So what they would do is to ease their conscience, they would tell themselves that they were gonna break the relationship off and repent on Monday once they got through all the business of their week. They said there was just too much going on on the schedule. They had to meet with staff. They had counseling. They had to get a word together. So they would go through their whole week, and this would give them enough wiggle room in their conscience to be able to focus to be able to pray, to be able to engage. And they would go through the whole week and then they would get to Sunday and they would get up and they would preach their message. And you know what they would say? When they preached their message, the gift of God that they had would just begin to flow. And they said the church was still growing and people were coming down to the altars and the worship team was dynamic. And they would leave with this powerful Sunday where he would go out into the parking lot and he would begin to reason and speak to himself saying this, I guess God is still with me. I guess he's still there. And then suddenly the crouching and the sneakiness of sin comes in and it begins to intellectualize. It begins to say, well, guess what? This must not be that big of a deal in the eyes of God. God understands that I'm a man under a lot of stress. God understands that there's a lot of responsibilities and spiritual weight that I'm carrying. God understands that I need to indulge in something once in a while or I'm just gonna explode. I'm just gonna die. So they start reasoning to themselves that they can have their cake and they can eat it too. And then they would say this, and then the cycle would repeat. I'd come back in on Tuesday and sit down and start putting my notes together. The conviction of the Holy Spirit would come on me. I couldn't think. I couldn't reason. And I would ease my conscience by saying to myself, on Monday, I will break that relationship off and I will repent. I just need to get through everything I have to get through this week. Then they'd get up and preach on Sunday. God would move again in the church and they would reason, well, I guess I don't have to break it off. God is still with me. And the cycle would keep repeating over and over and over and over again, sometimes Four years. Listen to me. Be careful. Just because you experience God's presence at church or your gift for leading, teaching, or worshiping is still effective in some ministry or job, that doesn't mean that you're right with God. Be careful. We don't line our lives up with experiences there's too much of the unknown on the other side of eternity that we don't understand fully. We line our lives up with this. This is what grounds us. Yeah. This is our standard. This is what we're called to. See, many times it just means that sin is crouching, sin is hiding, sin is saying things like, God's still using you. I must not be that big of a deal. See, sin gets low. I'm not that big. I'm down. God's still doing things with you. God's, he's doing everything he wants to do in and through your life. But God is saying, like he said to Cain, in time, sin doesn't just sit. It crouches. It will spring up. It will come after you. There will be consequences. And it will expose you. It will come out. Remember, God was with Samson when he opened up the door and he let sin in. And Samson always thought and reasoned in his mind because of the sneakiness of sin that everything would always be the same forever. He said, I'll always walk in the power and the strength. I'll always be able to defeat the Philistines. I'll always be able to do things God called me to do. And then one day he wakes up and what happens? The Philistines are outside. He runs out and he says, it'll be just as it always been. And the scripture says he's captured, he's chained, and his eyes are plucked out. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Let me put it up on the screen. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In fact, let me put this up from my own journaling this last week. These are my own notes. I want you to see it. And as I was thinking and praying, this is the best way I could describe it. Sin is like cancer. It hides and doesn't look like it's doing anything destructive in you. And then one day, you go to the doctor and it's stage four. And all your organs are shutting down and you have a few months to live. Sin acts the exact same way. But instead of eating away your organs, it eats away your soul, your will, and your desires. The great theologian William Shedd said it like this. Ready? I'll put it up. Sin is the suicidal action of the human will. To do wrong destroys the power to do right. This is illustrated in the effect of a vicious habit in diminishing a man's ability to resist temptation. But habit is the continual repetition of wrong self-decisions, every one of which reacts upon the will as a faculty and renders it less strong and energetic to good. No man could do a wrong act and be as sound in his will and as spiritually strong after it as he was before it. Now, what is William Shedd saying? Well, I think we all know exactly what he's saying. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to break a promise to someone that you love like your spouse the first time? It's almost like your will and your conscience, they just fight against you. It's like two boxers who will not let you through. They're just pounding on your conscience. Boom, boom, there's like a wall, right? Right? And it's difficult. When you got to do it the first time, especially for a spouse, someone in that type of intimate relationship, man, there's like a wall. And you literally have to shatter through it in order to break the promise. But after you have shattered through it, let me tell you something it gets easier the second time. The will and the conscience do not fight as hard. And you know what? It gets easier the third time, way easier than even the second. And it gets way easier the fourth. And it gets way, till it gets to a point, listen to me, you will do it like you are breathing air. It'll become just part of you. You're just like, I don't, there is no conscience. There is no will left. It's gone. Sin is serious. It crouches. It hides intellectually from us. It says it's much smaller than we think. It says it's just sitting still. It's never going to cause any real destruction. Never going to cause any real pain. It's just going to sit over here. Sin literally, it hides, it crouches behind the covenant of God's grace. God's still using you. The presence of God is still coming down. It hides. That's what God is trying to say. It's getting out of your view. And if you are like me and you read through these scriptures and you really think through it and it strikes you to your heart and you say, oh my gosh, I don't want anything in me. I want to deal with everything. If, If that's your heart, then the question that we have to start asking ourselves is how in the world do we protect ourselves from the sneakiness of sin? Because it's always lying to us. How do we make sure that we see it for what it really is? That we actually recognize there's some there, there's some there, even though it's crouching down, and that it's not sitting still. That we say, you know what? That's going to be a bigger issue later on. I better deal with it right now. How do we get that type of protection inside of our own heart? I want that type of protection. Well, two things, and I'll put them up on the screen, and then we'll begin to close. Number one, you have to have a right attitude. Do you know what your hidden sins are? Do you care enough to know? Every single one in this room has got them. There is nobody that is exempt. Do you pray, Holy Spirit, come and reveal any spiritual cancer inside of me? Anything that I'm not seeing, show it to me. Do you spend time praying over your sins continually in your walk with God? We all have things in the corner of our hearts that are crouching down. And we think to ourselves, right? This is exactly what I think. I should probably get over that. I don't think that's good. I'm definitely missing the mark there. But do you really realize how serious it actually is? Do you recognize the danger? Do you pray the type of prayers that the psalmist prayed? In Psalm 19, when he said this in verse 12 through 13, Ready? He says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Verse 13, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. How do we protect ourselves from the sneakiness of sin? Well, number one, we have to have the right attitude. And number two, are you ready? I'll put it up on the screen. I want you to get this we have to have very close Christian friends that we spend enough time with that they can see the sins that hide from us. This is important. In fact, let me tell you an open secret about why church splits happen or why mission teams fall apart in the field. I mean, if you have been saved over 10 years now, you, you have experienced either a pastor that has left the church or an elder board that got into an argument and tore the ch- par- church in two or a mission team that went out and ultimately didn't make it. You've experienced those types of things. And the reason many times, I'm not gonna say nine to 10 again, nine out of 10. I'm gonna be careful here. But many times that that happens is because there's one or two of the elders or in the pastor, there is a sin that they never got close enough in intimate community with other Christians where it came out where it got exposed where it was seen it it could have been a lying tongue could have been an issue with the way that they spoke it it could have been a deep-rooted selfishness or they would just go berserk when somebody would criticize them or evaluate them they never had any type of accountability no one was able to say hey do you realize this about yourself they never let those types of relationships in pastors are notorious for this Right, You were actually taught by other pastors. Don't get too close to congregants. Don't let them see your faults. You want to make sure that when they look up at this stage and they see you up here, that you're the guy who's got it all together. Don't let them ever see those types of things. And then what happens? They fall and the whole church literally splits apart. Foolishness. We all need community. We all need Christians in our lives. We all need people speaking to us. We are our body and we work together as a body. It's how it's supposed to happen. (sighs) See, they have that sin. It's never been exposed. They've never been intimate enough with any type of Christian community. They've never given enough time to get connected in community. It never really came out. And then they go and they help plant a church or they end up getting hired onto a staff and what happens? They wreak havoc everywhere they go. Everybody's pretty silent. And this happens not just in church life and ministry. Listen to me. This happens in marriage. Do you know how many times Beth and I have counseled premarital counseling? We've sat with couples and said, It ain't time. Ooh, it ain't time. You know how many have blown past what we said and got married and then reaped the consequences two or three years later? And they always come back and they always say, we should have listened to you. We didn't, you know what they say? We didn't see it. I didn't see it. I was like, no, it was clear. Red flag everywhere. Okay? But you were not letting the Christian community around you speak intimately into your life. You were not letting us expose what was actually there. This happens. I thank God for my wife. But you know what I really thank God for? Of how he wrote our romance story. Because God waited till he brought us together. And you know what he did? This was phenomenal. I'm so grateful for it, even though it was tough when I was going through it. He sent Beth to an internship where she was gonna have to live with other Christians for three years. Literally, she lived above the World Prayer Center at the New Life Church. Her old leader, Joe Couch, which is sitting right over here, he was leading the internship at one point. And God put her in a place where she couldn't get out of people talking and and being around and other Christians. And you know what God did for me? He put me into a Bible school that was structured kind of like a cult. But it wasn't a cult. I'm just saying it was like it. So you couldn't leave the campus. You couldn't leave. You weren't allowed to have a car. Shopping days, you couldn't get away from anybody. You had to get on a bus with every student in the school, and they drove a bus down to the mall, and you had to get out. You had. You looked like a bunch of Mormons coming to the shopping centers to go get what you need, right? And. But I thank God for it. I couldn't get these guys out of my life. I lived with them. They were in my dorm. I had them as my roommates. I had to eat breakfast with them. I had to wake up and see them. I had to go to bed and deal with them. But you know what God did in her life and mine? Is he began to deal with sins that were hidden inside of us. I found out when I went to Bible school that I was a liar. Never knew it before. Because I never had to actually face anybody that I actually lied to. But now that I'm in this close Christian circle of community, people would say to me, wait a second, did you say something different yesterday? And I'd be like, what? And And then, because they're Christian, they start breaking out the Bible. They're like, yeah, don't you know it's one of the Ten Commandments you just broke? Right? And, and then you're like, and then you're in the chapels and the conviction's coming on you and everybody's looking at you and saying, yeah, Michael needs some help. We need to pray for Michael. Michael's the issue. But I thank God. God literally got all this stuff out of us so that when he brought Beth and I together, it was later on in our lives. I was 30 years old when I got married. God had laid a foundation by dealing with these things inside of us. And I got to be honest, 14 years, and you could testify to this, honey, I could count how many fights we've had on one hand. We're not perfect. There's a lot of issues. But man, there's grace in our home. We function. We know what to talk to each other about, and we know what to just let go and allow the Holy Spirit to have his way. We know where we need to lead, and we know where we need to just give mercy. And I'm grateful for that. My marriage is healthy. My kids are healthy. Because God put us in a place of close Christian community that began to bring out those things inside of us that needed to be dealt with so that we could have a good, healthy marriage ahead. Write this down. I'll put it up on the screen. Quality time happens in quantity of time. Did you hear me? Quality time happens in quantity of time. You will never have the type of Christian friends that you need who will blow the whistle and tell you about your hidden sins if you don't spend a lot of time in Christian community. You have to spend a lot of time in deep Christian relationships and have friends that know you Or you are a sitting duck in your Christian faith. Sin will definitely have you and take you out. My friend Michael Fratt, who's now on staff, and I'll I'll just, even Billy, Pastor Billy, both of us. Do you know there's an unspoken, and we've actually texted this to each other. But we said, I want you to know you have every right to point out anything in my life that is not right with God. There have been times we have sent texts And say, brother, is there anything going on here? Is there anything? And we have right back said, number one, no, that's dealt with. I've dealt with whatever it is. But number two, you always check up. You always deal with me. You always bring it forward. We live in that type of intimacy. Pastor Billy comes in the office, he'll tell me, you're heavy handed with the staff. You got to deal with some. Man, I don't like when he tells me, but he's right. He's 100% right. I came back and said, "You're right, Billy. I got to start growing here. I got to learn how to lead better here. I got to start dealing." How in the world is this stuff going to be actually dealt with? How is it going to be exposed if we don't have it? Because guess what? Sometimes sin is hiding so well you can't see it. It's like you're leaving the door of your house and it's there crouching over in the corner, but you're focused this way. You need somebody else on the other side of the door that's looking in, saying, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" Before you come out, you realize you got a four-foot iguana hot rod sitting right there, about to bite off your leg. Thank you. I didn't know that was there. We need that. Acts chapter 2 says this. Ready? Acts 2, 42. You know this. They did what? What is that word? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what else? To fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You don't break bread and pray without the fellowship, my friend. It's fellowship. They Listen, you know what the Bible's saying? They made this their priority in the early church. In other words, their life in the church was more important to them than their life outside of the church. And they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, some of you might be sitting here and say, well, Pastor Michael, I gotta be honest with you. I'm too busy for that. I can't ever do that. I can't get involved in a community group. I can't be out another night of the week. And let me tell you something. I understand that more than anybody with three little kids, with all the sports practices that go on, uh, homework that has to happen, things that we got. I get it. But I'm just going to tell you this, and I'm going to be straight with you. There is no other way around it. Listen to me, and I need you to get this. When you suffer the consequences, when sin finally springs up, let me tell you something. It is way worse than making the sacrifice to be involved and engaged in the church now. I'm being straight with you. Anybody who's ever experienced sin that has not just crouched, but finally sprung up and they have gone through it, they will tell you from their own lips. You find the time. You work it out. You get engaged. You get those people around you. You don't go the path that I just went down. Because I'm going to tell you something. Many who suffer those consequences, well, careful with my language. Some of those who suffer the consequences. 90%. 90, Okay, not 90%. just, Just listen to me. Some of those that suffer those consequences, some of them, actually, listen, I want you to get this. They get shipwrecked and they never find their way back. Paul speaks about that. He says there's those whose faith were shipwrecked. They deal with so much shame, so much guilt, that they can't get past it sometimes. And to be honest, they give up on their walk with the Lord's and they go and they become apostates. There's a word you don't hear in church anymore, apostate. But It's true. okay, Pastor Michael, tell me, please, please, you have some good news in this message somewhere, because up to this point, I wish I stayed home and watched the Super Bowl at this point, but please tell me there's something, there is, there is, because as I was finishing the sermon out, and I was sitting here at the church yesterday for Lino Souza's memorial, the Lord began to put something on my heart that was so important to the rest of this message. And he began to just share something or just a feeling that I had that when I would speak something like this and it would be this direct, that there'd be a lot of people that would be in the congregation that would be scared. They would begin to feel afraid. And why would they feel scared or feel afraid? It's not because of the hiddenness or the crouchingness of sin. That's not why they're afraid. What they're afraid about, and I want you to get this, is that if sin finally gets exposed, especially all the hidden areas inside of their hearts, they know that they do not have the power to be able to change what it is that is wrong inside of them. And they know because they don't have the power and it's gonna to begin to be exposed, they feel like God will lift their hand from them or begin to abandon them because they weren't able to get it right. Anyone ever deal with that before? I deal with that. When, when sin gets exposed in my life, I start thinking, my gosh, I want it to stay hidden. I need it to stay hidden. Because when it's not there, I don't feel like God will abandon or God will leave me. When I begin to see it, I realize that I don't have the power to change it. And when I don't have the power to change it, and I try and I fail and I fail, suddenly I start questioning whether God is still with me. Sometimes I wonder if he's not just all the way over here on the other side of the church saying, don't you dare come near me. Get that thing right. And after you get that thing right, you'll be able to draw near and we'll have a relationship together. And then suddenly I start realizing, just like all of you, I can't live without God god i can't function without god if he doesn't speak to me if i don't sense his presence if he doesn't give me strength i i I literally have lived life like that before and it's so miserable i can't do it again so now all this turmoil starts happening inside of our hearts where we start getting scared where we start getting afraid where we say i don't even want to know myself i i can't know myself because knowing myself i'm not lovable i can't love me let alone god love me But you know what's amazing? Time and time again in Scripture, God testifies to the fact that through His Son, we're not just children, sons and daughters of the living God. He says something even more. He says that we are His bride. How many times in Scripture does He say, we are the bride of Christ and He is the groomsman? Which means, I want you to get this, that we are in a covenant relationship with God. You know what's amazing about a marriage? And I want you to get this picture. Is that when you enter into a marriage covenant, it's not just founded on love, it's founded on law. It's a legal contract as well as a loving contract. And when you enter into a marriage, this is so important. Do you know what the two of you are doing? You're saying, I'm gonna bind myself to you out of my love of my heart, but also out of the legality of the court system, out of our judicial system, and before the eyes of God that this is what we say, that I am going to be faithful to you and to all the things that I vow in the covenant, whether or not you're faithful to me. Isn't that what a marriage is? It says, I am vowing to be this, this, and this to you, and I will be legally bound, never to break it apart, never to seek a divorce, never to go my own way, whether or not you remain faithful to me. That's why we say things in what? Sickness and health. Man, if you're sick and you can't give me what I need, I'm still going to be faithful to you. I still will love you and commit everything in my heart to you. In riches or in poor, right? Yes, sometimes we're rich. Not just monetarily, spiritually even speaking. I have all the riches. I have everything. No, no, no. But even when I'm poor, what do we say in marriage? I still am going to be faithful. Because I am binding myself, not just between love, but between law. Between a covenant between you and I. And no matter what we go through. I will never turn my back. Now that's what marriage is supposed to be like. I'm not saying it is, but that's how God designed it. So when God speaks that we are in a marriage with Him, that's what He means. In fact, go to the book of revelation. i'm not even going to have you turn there i'll just I'll share this for my just storytelling abilities or just scripture ability, right. What's amazing in the book of Revelation is God shows up to the seven churches in Asia. And what does he do with the seven churches in Asia? He walks amongst them. And then what does he do? He begins to expose crouching sin, hidden sin. That's exactly what he does. And do you remember what he said to the Ephesus church? He comes to them and he says, man, you guys are working harder than ever. You guys, you look like you're alive. You're doing all these great things for me. You're doing all these great works. But he says, but I look beyond that and I see something hidden. And what does he say? You have lost your first love. And then this conviction comes over through the church. Now, now let me tell you something. If God said that to me in my normal actions and I heard that, I lost my first love, I literally would be so afraid to go back to God. I would be like, Oh my gosh, let me get this right, let me get this together. But you know what's amazing in the book of Ephesus is that, or in the book of Revelation with the church of Ephesus, when God comes and He says you lost your first love, then notice what happens next. What does God say? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. In other words, God is saying, I've exposed you, but listen to me, I haven't forsaken you. You know what God is saying? I'm not leaving, because I'm in a marriage covenant with you. I will be faithful to you, even though you're not faithful to me. You're still my love, even though I'm not yours. And you know what God is saying? You can't get rid of me, that's why he's knocking. You ever try to boot somebody out of your house? You shut the door, and they're just knocking, they won't give up, this is God. And you know what God is saying? It's not me that is separating the two of us, it's you. Even with everything that I've exposed, I still want you. I still desire to work in your life. I still desire to set you free. I bound myself with my own son's blood so that I would never leave you. And I am knocking on that door. But it's you who has the door shut. You're the one, open it to me. Open it to me, my love, open it to me, let me in. Let me in. See, when you understand the type of relationship you really have with God, you're no longer afraid to deal with sin in your life. You come to God and you're able to pray about it. You're able, you know what, God? This is all of me. This is all of me. Everything. Everything. And I thank you that you abound yourself in love and through the law, the high courts of heaven, that you'll be faithful even when I'm not. So I'm going to let you in. Holy Spirit, you got free reign. You got free reign. I can't free myself of this, but there's plenty of promises in Scripture that said you'll free me. And as I keep allowing you to expose it and bringing it out, you will deliver me. Springs Church, do you see it? Get this through your thick skulls this morning. And I say it like that, Jersey style. God is not against you. No matter how far you've gone, God is not against you. God stands at the door, and he knocks. He says, listen to me. You haven't been faithful, but I remain faithful. I love you, and that will never change no matter what you do. Come to me. Come to me. Let's get this out of you. Don't let it hide anymore. Don't let it crouch. It's not worth it. Stand with me, Spring Church. Stand with me, Spring Church. My altar call is simple this morning. How many of you in this room with me say, God, I want you to search me? It's just that simple. I want you to find anything hidden. I want you to find anything crouching. And I want you to expose it. I want you to expose it. That was my cry this week. God, expose it. Show it for what it is. Show it for what it is. I already know you love me. I know you're with me. So show it. And if that's your prayer, if you say, man, that's my heart, Pastor Michael. That's what I want. I want you to Come right here to this altar. I want to pray with you. I want you to make that confession before the Lord. Say, God, you have free reign to expose anything. Free reign. Search me and find it all and bring it out. Worship team, if you'll lead us in the power of the blood, the power, come forward, come forward, come forward. I want to pray with you. We're going to praise the church before we leave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.